What will be your legacy? What will be mine? I want to see the hands of everybody who's 65 or younger. Raise your hand. Keep them up. Now, keep them up. I know this is testy. You're young, but you can do it. Remember, I didn't ask us old folks to do this. Now, old folks, look at what your audience is. Where are you going to leave your legacy? Legacy is something you leave behind. Legacy is something that you invest in these young people. For those of you who know me and for those of you who don't, I've lived singly my whole adult life. But I got a family. It's you. Sorry, I know you didn't ask to be, but I adopted you. People of God. And you are my legacy. For good or for ill, for whatever I'm able to do. I found a great quote about legacy, and I want to share it with you. This is from Pericles. He was called the first citizen of Athens by Tacitus. And note, what you leave behind is not what is engraved in stone monuments, but what is woven into the lives of others. Is that great or what? Can I get an amen? What we leave behind in the character of younger people. And folks, yes, I do count all of you 65 and younger. Younger. Now I want to say something at the beginning, and I want you to think about it this whole weekend. I tell this to my camp kids a lot when I teach them. I teach the 11th and 12th grade every evening. There are about 80 of them every year. That the only advantage that I have over you as far as wisdom and making good decisions, what you have seen once, I have seen 20 times. Because I've lived long. Young people, take advantage of that. I want to make an observation about our current culture. We're losing the idea of selecting mentors. Growing up, Ricky, I chose about a dozen men that I would go to. I think you probably did the same. Of course, you had your father to go and discuss things with and those who knew your father well. But I hadn't, of course, they're almost all dead now. But I don't see a lot of young people continuing to do that. They've got other forces. Being able to sit down with a person who has seen 20 times what I've only seen twice can be of great advantage in their perspective over time, in their insight as to the severity of it, the seriousness of it, and what can be the possible outcomes. You know, not all bad things turn out bad, do they? Sometimes real bad things 
are good for us. Every few older people have seen that. Oh, this is terrible. And even though it was terrible, what's the worst thing that's ever happened in the world? I would submit to you it's the cross, the tortuous death of the perfect man, the Son of God. He was murdered, tortured to death. An innocent man in a way that no other man has ever lived. I would submit to you it's the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. Guess what? It's the best thing that ever happened to me. For through that death I have received life again. Leon and Nancy Gray are, to my knowledge, are the only people here tonight that were in that little house church that I came to in Garland, Texas. I was a student at SMU. They didn't know it. They soon found it out. I was there to start again. I decided, John, you're either going to live this Christian life are you going to give it up? It's time to make a decision. Young people, I'm not proud of those years previous to that. They were short-lived, but they were wasted. I'm not proud of them. But I sure was grateful for that handful of Christians who welcomed me and we prayed that God would forgive me and that I would begin again, which I did. And now I'm here. You see, you didn't even know what God can do. But I do. And you do too in your own life. So we want to live behind a legacy. We want to live behind spiritually oriented people. In our little camp down in Dry Creek, Louisiana, we developed a slogan that said, Dry Creek Camp, where good kids are getting better. We learned many years ago we can't take a totally rebellious kid and do a whole lot with them in a week. But give us a good kid. And we hope to help all you parents make them just a little bit better. To spur them along to a greater service in the Lord. But we're talking and focusing on older people. But here's a couple. You know, the old saying, go growing, getting old is not for sissies. It can be tough. Let's talk to Joe. Hey, get about that. I've known Joe a long time, admired his ability in architecture and artistry. Beautiful structure here. Lost recently a wife. Many of you older people are now living single again for the first time in your adult years. You've seen the reduction in physical ability. Can't see, you can't hear, you hardly breathe, and your heart kind of fails every now and then. See what you got to look forward to, younger folks? Oh, it's wonderful. Health problems tend to come as you age. 
And sometimes money problems. The money runs out. Difficulty in finding purpose for each day. Each day. And even loneliness. And so therefore there develops kind of a, a, a moniker for older people as complainers and gripers. And, you know, they're not a whole lot of fun to be around. If this is something for us older people, if you want to have a full life to the very end, you must live it in such a way that younger people want to be around you. We have a responsibility there to pattern a life, not perfect, of course, not without its challenges, of course, but filled with the hope and with the contentment of Jesus Christ. And so we ask this question, what does it mean to be a Christian, especially an older Christian? I want to suggest to you, in addition to what is displayed on the slide, a believer, a disciple, saved, and all of that is biblically correct, but this one also is contentment. All right, those of us in the senior edition, you have contentment. Well, maybe let's find out. And if we have it, can we leave it as a legacy for these younger people who will follow after us? That they, through our experience with them and knowing them, they come to see that even though there are hardships and difficulties, there's still contempt. Let's consider. It's so legacy of content, the ability to enjoy life, though it isn't perfect, of course. Do you know the secret? Do you realize that learning contentment is a secret that's so described in Scripture? Now, this word secret means something that was hidden but is now revealed. What's the text? We're going to start with Philippians 4, 10 through 13, and this will be the focus of our first lesson tonight. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Let me set the scene for you. Paul is in Roman prison, either Caesarea or Rome, probably, I'd well, you decide. He's in prison. And he's writing a thank you letter to the Philippians for their assistance to him. And note, he's saying, I'm not complaining, but I just wanted to thank you for what you've done for me. Verse 11 says, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I suggest to you that's challenging. That's challenging. Look at the next verse, 12 and 13. I know how to get along 
with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in my every, in any and every, no, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Oh, and don't you love this one? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know him. You know that person. It strengthens you to do all things you need to do through him who strengthens me. And so we want to ask three questions in our lesson tonight. First, what is contempt? <laughs> Secondly, how do you get it? Contentment. And finally, why are we discontinued? And we'll need to pause or walk it. Older, you can just do things that maybe would not be acceptable for younger people. But at this age, you don't care. I'm having a little tickle throat here, and I want to be done with it. Note, this is a baby bop. It is my salute to all mothers who attend children. And I'm one of them because I have so fumble-fingered, I would have spilled water all over this thing here. I was telling Jordan of an incident at College Station. I've met several of you who have been to College Station. I was preaching there, and I had a glass of water here on the podium. And we had, you know, the old transparencies where in water-based markers, you know, we marked out our points and put it on the overhead and, I had a stack of them underneath for the rest of the lesson, and I got excited, and I walked to the podium, tipped over the glass of water. It folded down and fell on my transparencies and just washed the lesson away. The only thing I could think of was, well, that lesson's washed up. So we went on without pictures. All right. I'm told that, that I need to flip the page real quickly there and vociferously. So I've done that. All right, here we go. Contentment. What is it? You know? Well, I say it's bluebell ice cream. Leon agrees. Bluebell ice cream. But also, now if you remember this, you probably will be classified as old as I am. Bluebell ice cream ran a very successful ad campaign many decades ago where they featured these cows standing in, the, in a pasture just chewing their cud and they said, we have the best ice cream because they come from contented cows. You know, a preacher can make a point out of just about anything. 
but Bluebell ice cream was wrong. Cows didn't have a worry or concern in the world. I would call them complacent. Being contented is not being complacent. The Apostle Paul was not contented in prison because it was such a joy to be in a prison. It was hard. It was difficult. It was taxing. And to all of us who are older, learning to be content in your older age is not easy. Our learning to be contented in the age is a challenge. No, contentment is not the complacent cow. Though I believe bluebell ice cream would probably help. No, but what is it? So I looked it up in the dictionary. This is what I got in the English dictionary. Satisfied, contained, as the contented person's desires are bound by what he or she already has. I looked it up in the Greek, and the Greek word is a compound word. It's a compound of self and sufficient. Or, if you will, it is self-sufficient. Wanting or having need of nothing. Or, if you will, being able to say, I have enough. I have enough. My health is not what I would want. I remember just a few short years ago when I could go at a much quicker pace and energy, but it's enough. It's enough. I don't have as much money as I used to. The stock market just crashed. It cost me a good bit of my retirement, but it'll be enough. And you say that? I got enough. That's what contentment is. And then I love quotations, for often even people who are not of the Spirit can wisely see and help us understand things. So let's look at a few of them. This from Dale Carney. It isn't what you have or what you are where you are or what you are doing that makes you happy or unhappy. It is what you think about it. And then this one from Socrates. He who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. Isn't that good? And then this one from Immanuel Kant. We are not rich by what we possess, but by what we could do without. Mm. Oh, I just got to have a new car in order to be happy. Today I went over to SMU just to drive around. Of course, I can't recognize the campus from the time I was there in the late 60s. I graduated in 1966. It's changed so much. 
I got a much better college to support now than that one. If you want to know about it, just come ask me and I'll tell you about it. But I went over there because there's a clothing store over there that always had really good clothes. Oh, the prices have gone up, hadn't they? I said, I got enough. I got enough. And then this one from Epictetus. Wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. Few wants. Are you still a person that's unsettled because you just don't have enough? You got to buy, buy, buy. You got to shop, shop, shop. You got to attain, attain, attain. Learn to be content. Learn. Note this from G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite quotes in this regard. True contentment is a thing as active as agriculture. It is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. It is arduous and it is rare. And then this finally, one of my favorites. Sarah Van Breathneck. Whatever we are waiting for, peace of mind, contentment, grace, the inner awareness of simple abundance, it will surely come to us, but only when we are ready to receive it with an open and grateful heart. So, how do you get it? How do you get the ability that in any and every circumstance you say, I have enough? Would like more, but if it doesn't happen, that's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't cause a great disturbance. Does it throw me into a paralyzing worry or depression? It doesn't cause me to affect my personal relationships with my family and friends. I have enough. How do you get it? Well, first of all, I want to talk, let's talk about the one who's speaking to us, Paul. Is he qualified to instruct us on how to, how to be content in all circumstances? Is he qualified? You know, it's one thing to be content when you have all that you might physically and emotionally need. It's quite another thing to be content in hard and harsh circumstances. Well, let's look at Paul's life. He writes to the Corinthian brethren because he's being criticized severely by some false apostles, by evil workers. So Paul is forced to do something he doesn't like to do. He says, well, let me tell you about my credentials as a genuine apostle. Let's see what he writes. Are they servants of Christ? He's talking about his critics. I speak as if it's saying. Not something he wants to do, but he doubts sees it necessary. I am more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, 
repeating times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I've received from the Jews 39 lashes. I counted 195. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And I'm not advancing, am I? I got so taken with reading, I forgot that you needed to read too. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have, I want you to think about this. If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weaknesses. What is he talking about? I believe he's talking about all these things he just described. And why did he list those things? to glorify the Christ who was with him every step of the way in whom he could boast and in him he could count of keeping his contentment. You want that kind of life? Not easy, is it? Yes, Paul is fully qualified to help us to understand. I learned it. Let's go further. Note what he says again. Well, let's read again Philippians four ten through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me to the Philippians. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned. It's just a generic word in the Greek, learn, to understand from whatever source. You have to learn contentment. You're not born with it. It doesn't come instantaneously. It doesn't come from one year or two years. It's something that has to be learned over years of meeting these challenges with Christ. <laughs> and further, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And further, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned. In English, not the same Greek word. A different Greek word. And this one is by experience or initiation. A study of this indicates it's the only time this one Greek word is in the New Testament or is in the Bible. And they think it was borrowed by Paul from the pagan mystery cult in which you had to go through an initiation to be a part of their cult. I believe he's saying, you want to learn contentment? You got to be initiated into it. You got to be initiated into learning how to be content, being able to say, I have enough. Even though others may be bemoaning how dark my day is, I have enough. I have Christ. Further, I have learned the secret, that which was hidden but now revealed in Christ. Hidden but now revealed. And therefore he says, I can do all things. The most valuable player in the NBA. What I hear athletes telling us on TV, some difficult time they've gone through, well, Christ said I can do all things. Is that what he's talking about? Folks, that in the context. It's not what he's talking about. No. I can do all things needed to be content. Satan cannot rob me of my contented mind and heart by what he throws at me. Because I've got Christ. And Christ brings good things through bad things many, many times. He is not defeated by difficulties. Through him who strengthens me. Through him who strengthens me. And so we ask, how do you get it? You have to want it. You have to learn it. You learn it from those who have it. All and others. Now we're ready to make the application, aren't we, to our legacy weekend. Now I want to see the hands of everybody 65 and older, and I'll stick my hand up first. But all these young people know us, and we help them learn contentment because of what they see in us. They're going to know about the difficulties that we're going through because the church is going to be praying about it. It's going to be announced when you go into the hospital and when a wife or a husband dies or children move off, or you get a divorce. 
all the ups and downs of life. They're going to know about that. Let's show them Christ in those circumstances. In chapter 3, I was studying chapter 3 the other day. I wanted to die. I preached the lesson on it. I just struggled with that chapter of Philippians. And Paul says that he wants that I may be found in him. If people went looking for John, would they find him in Christ? Because John had some of the character and attributes of Christ because that's what he wants to be his life. And all these young people over these many years now that I've interacted with, will one or more be able to say, God help me just a little bit to see Christ. How powerful he is. How great he is. I went to a funeral. You go to more funerals when you get older, don't you, older folk? All my contemporaries are passing away. And I went to a funeral of a young woman. She was just 25 years old, killed in a motorcycle accident. Tragically, not a Christian. Studying to be one. God will do the right thing, whatever it is. But I listened to the comment. Wonderful personality by many account of those who spoke. I went away sick. And I thought, John, if anybody shows up at your funeral, I hope we could just focus on Christ. I wish I'd come to this mindset even much earlier in my life. And I admire those of you young people that are such an encouragement to me because you're stronger at your age than I was at your age. And you're a great example to me in the encouragement. But folks, as God knows my heart, it's just Christ. How many more years do you think I got to live, Ricky? Too many. Maybe 10. Leon's 90. Leon's going for 100. Why not? If I reach 90, I will be the first Kilgore man who ever lived to be 90. All the women lived into 90s. Men didn't. But what do I want to spend in my last decade? I'll tell you, real simple. I want to talk to as many people as I can 
about Jesus Christ. That's it. And I want to talk to young people about Jesus Christ. May God help me. You learn it by experiencing, by experience. You're initiated into learning about the uh, contemplation. And finally, you're in Christ. So important. And so I ask, which are you? Which are you? Thermometer? A thermostat. Spiritually and emotionally speaking, are you a thermometer? Every day is a different tone, a different temperature, spiritual temperature. Every day. You're just reacting to circumstances. Every day. Whether it's hot, then you're cold. Then you're medium. Then it's burning up. And then you freeze it. Spiritually speaking. Or are you spiritually a thermostat that God helps you to set a temperature to regulate everything else. Y'all have a reputation of being a good church, maybe even a great one. That being so, you've got some people who are thermostats here. They're not up and down, in and out. On Sunday, I'm going to talk to you about how to begin to learn this contempt. You know what I'm going to focus on? The life in a church. The life in the family of God in a local church. But we move on. So our last point, why are we discontented? Why? In view of all that we have and all that Christ has done for us, why are we discontented? Well, maybe we do not understand that contentment is a choice. Problems are seen only when looking outward instead of inward. Happiness is thought to be uh, happiness is through circumstances rather than character. Big mistake. I'm happy today because you know I got to eat my favorite meal. Or the temperature is just what I wanted. Versus, I have happiness today. I'm blessed today because of who I am as a Christian. Or, Christ is, is not in us or has not matured in us. That's why we're not contented. And it is an evidence of failure to see the power of Christ via the cross. Again, I remind us, the worst thing that ever happened is the best thing. That's God's power. To take a weak thing and make it the strongest. To take the worst thing and make it the best. Thirdly, we have not been willing to be initiated into the secret of contentment. And we ask, why? 
here it is. It inevitably involves suffering. Inevitably. You don't learn contentment when everything's going your way. You learn it when it's not. And we tend to avoid suffering at every turn. Let's close with a great passage from Paul about suffering and its power and its advantages. From Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Now I rejoiced in my sufferings for your sake. What? I rejoiced in my sufferings for your sake. Every parent knows what that means. Every parent knows that. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. What on earth could be lacking in Christ's affliction that Paul filled up? Jesus said, if they treated me this way, they're going to treat you this way too, if you're like me. We have sufferings of Christ to fill up. You know why? For through suffering or weakness, we see the strength and power of Christ. We see that he is an all-purpose Savior. He is adept in every circumstance. To fill up the sufferings of Christ, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for, for your benefit, so that I may fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifest in His saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is, y'all, let's all say it together. I've highlighted it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Senior generation, let's pray, let's work, let's extend ourselves to complete every one of our younger brothers and sisters complete in Christ. Often it's one of our greatest faiths. We baptize them and say, yo, yo. They need mentors. 
They need examples. They need encouragement. They need correction. They need friendship. They need someone to eat with, to play with, to consult with, to pray with. Oh, we've got a great work. And you're now gradually qualifying yourself as an older person to do this great work of showing them not only about what you do, but what you don't do. The greatness of Christ. More about that later. And so I want to gradually close. I don't know whether you sing this song here. Do you? Well, it's a great little song. My only hope. I only want situation but I know you will and I want to show and demonstrate to our younger brothers and sisters how great you are to meet any and every circumstance of life 
Thank you for listening tonight. I enjoy preaching. I hope it shows. It's an honor to have your attention. Let's close. Your thermometer? Thermostat. If you learn to be one, is there contained within me a power that sets my spiritual temperature to contentment? There is. If he wants to come into your heart in that way, am I willing to be initiated into the secret of contentment? knowing there will be inevitable suffering. Is Jesus Christ in me and maturing, growing? And therefore, how does this process work? We're going to talk to you Sunday morning about that, how this process works. Her final thought is again from Sarah Van Breathneck. Whatever we are waiting for, peace of mind, contentment, grace, the inner awareness of simple abundance, it will surely come to us, but only when we are ready to receive it with an open and grateful heart. Thank you, Jesus. What's our invitation so? Is it? Is it for me, dear Savior, thy glory? It is. You need to access it. Do it tonight while we stand and sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.